You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Election hacking seems not to have happened in the U.S. this week, but that hasn't stopped the IRA and its mouthpieces in Sputnik, RT, and elsewhere from loudly claiming that it has. Election influence operations continue long after the election. A virtual box zero day has been disclosed. U.S. Cybercom posts lowjacked virus total. The FCC goes after robocalls. The U.S. Postal Service's informed delivery has been exploited. And Canada Post slips and reveals cannabis customers. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, November 8, 2018. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security has said that Tuesday's elections went off without disruption by cyber attack, and at this point that seems a fair assessment. Preparations are already underway to bring a comparable level of security forward into the 2020 election cycle. So hacking proper seems to have been a fizzle, but there were some influence operations at play. DHS also notes that disinformation about election security and the effects of influence operations is being actively distributed. It's hogwash from St. Petersburg, whose Internet Research Agency cries victory for its trolls. DHS cybersecurity leader Christopher Krebs points out that the influence ops from Russia right now are filled with noise and garbage, stuffing people up with phony stories about compromised systems and voting having been cyber-rigged. Expect this to continue, and remember that Moscow's record suggests that it has a fairly simple and achievable goal, erode adversary populations' trust in their government's institutions and in one another. Also from St. Petersburg comes a zero day for Oracle's virtual box, posted to GitHub. This isn't the IRA's work, but rather of one irritated freelance bug hunter, Sergei Zelenyuk. Mr. Zelenyuk says he loves VirtualBox, but that the industry just takes too long to evaluate reported bugs, and so he's dropped the zero day without prior disclosure as a gesture of defiance. U.S. Cyber Command is also reporting bugs, but in a regular, non-angry way. The command has submitted samples of Russia-linked LoJack malware to VirusTotal. A major incident affecting banks in Pakistan appears to be a pay card skimming operation as opposed to a breach. 
The country's central bank denies there was any breach, but skimmers seem to have accessed around 20,000 paycards data. The affected cards are from a range of most of Pakistan's major banks. We are all familiar with passwords, something you know, and of course these days they're often combined with some sort of second factor, typically something you have, to verify you are who you say you are and that you should be granted access. The folks at Pluralock Security Solutions aim to take that to the next level, using behavioral biometrics to keep an eye on what you're doing and how you're doing it. Ian Patterson is CEO at Pluralock. Behavioral biometrics is the study of how people behave over time. We're all familiar with traditional biometrics uh, using touch ID or face ID, using fingerprint scanning, facial recognition. Behavioral biometrics is intended to be used on a, on a continuous basis where we're constantly assessing the identity of a person. So, for example, the way that you walk has unique characteristics about yourself. Uh, it's called gait analysis. What, what we're doing at Pluralock is focusing on using behavioral biometrics uh, of how people wa- uh, type and move a mouse to be able to authenticate them. Hmm. Now, the history of this is actually interesting. Um, it dates back to World War II, where telegraph operators could detect who the other operator was just by the unique speed and cadence of, of how they were typing on the, the telegraph machine. So it's a very early form of, of signals analysis. And what we do on keyboard to detect people's speed, rhythm, and cadence actually traces its roots back all the way to World War II. Wow. So let's uh, let's dive into that a little bit here. I mean, what are some of the things that you're tracking, and how effective is it? So we have a solution that is used primarily inside workplaces, um, and we're able to constantly assess the identity of users on their devices. So we look at speed, rhythm, and cadence of how people type on a keyboard. We also look at the X and Y position of a cursor using a, a mouse or a touchpad. We extract unique biometric markers. Um, and so some of those markers markers include how fast you type, um, how long you dwell on specific keys, the flight time, how long it takes your fingers to go from one key press to the next. And then on mice, we also look at how you move, how you click, how you scroll, and then the relationship between clicks, movements, scrolls, typing. And, and so I, I suppose there's some kind of a, a learning process that happens when you're onboarding someone to get the system to figure out what their uh, normal range of activities is? It is. So we use artificial intelligence to build a profile of a user. Uh, depending on the environment, it could be as quick as 20 minutes to build that initial profile, um, or it could be over several days. Once we have that profile built, then we're constantly learning um, and adding to that profile. So the system is unmanaged, uh, just sits in the background. In most cases, users don't interact with the system. It's just constantly monitoring and protecting. Now, why do you suppose that this sort of uh, thing hasn't become popular up until now? What's been holding back these these specific types of behavioral uh, extra tests? Well, part of it is it's a hard problem to solve. Our, our technical team uh, spent over 35,000 hours of research uh, in the technology itself, even before we started productization. Hmm. Um, we have a, a core team of, of data scientists who have spent most of their career around behavioral biometrics and cybersecurity and are the leading um, sources in the uh, academic journals where either we're the guys authoring those articles or we're the ones being cited. 
So it's a hard problem to solve. It's also resulted in, in a lot of IP. So we have a number of patents that are filed in this area. Mm. I think, though, what's happened in the industry is that traditional identity systems like two-factor authentication, um, like traditional login and passwords, haven't proved to uh, to stop the data breaches. If we look at the cause of data breaches in 2016 and then going into 2017, the Verizon data breach incident report suggested that uh, three out of five on average data breaches originated from a weak or stolen uh, password. That was 2016. 2017, that went up to four out of five. So the problem is getting worse, not better. And what we're seeing is that the industry is demanding more and, and stronger identity defenses that operate not only at the time of login, but also continuously throughout the user session. That's Ian Patterson from Pluralock Security Solutions. With next month's Chrome 71 release, Google will give abusive advertisers 30 days to clean themselves up or face ejection from the company's advertising service. This is going to be easier said than done. Misbehaving ads include ones that block content, keep users from scrolling, blast through settings that would mute autoplay, and so on. But it also includes serious criminality, phishing, waterholing, tech support scams, and so on. How Google will wrangle this stuff remains to be seen, and the 30-day limit may represent a quiet acknowledgement that Mountain View, which depends upon advertising, grasps the difficulty of the challenge. Krebs on Security reports that the U.S. Secret Service is circulating internally a warning that its field offices have observed an uptick in criminals abusing weaknesses in the U.S. Postal Service's informed delivery service to commit identity theft and credit card fraud. Informed delivery enables recipients of letters to view scanned images of inbound mail. Criminals have been able to use the service to watch potential victims of identity fraud stealing mail containing, for example, credit cards from mailboxes before the recipient can pick up the mail. This has continued despite the Postal Service's recent attempts to increase security and make it easier for people to opt out of the service. One wonders if this particular form of crime won't fade with traditional mail delivery. Informal checks suggest to us that the U.S. mail now consists mostly of advertising, sprinkled with a few magazine subscriptions and the occasional wedding invitation, the way landline phone calls seem increasingly dominated by robocalls. Speaking of which, the U.S. Federal Communications Commission is scolding and nudging phone companies to do more against robocalls. FCC Commissioner Pai, in a letter to voice call providers Monday, said, quote, Combating illegal robocalls is our top consumer priority at the FCC. That's why we need call authentication to become a reality. It's the best way to ensure that customers can answer their phones with confidence. By this time next year, I expect that consumers will begin to see this on their phones. End quote. The FCC's preferred anti-robocalling framework, which it's urging on the telcos, has the vaguely James Bondian name Shaken Stir, which stands for Signature-Based Handling of Asserted Information Using Tokens, that's Shaken, and Security Telephone Identity Revisited, which would be Stir. The framework digitally validates phone call handover as calls pass through various networks in a way that makes it possible for the company serving the recipient to verify that the call is from the person represented as making it. There are interesting analogies between this framework and the work on transparency 
and against coordinated authenticity currently in progress among social networks. For now, shake and stir is voluntary, but the FCC suggests that if the phone companies don't get on board, it may become compulsory. And finally, we close with another postal story, this one from our neighbors to the north. The Ontario Cannabis Store warns that its delivery list for newly legal weed has been illicitly accessed due to missteps at Canada Post. Some coverage seems to show signs of the Butterfield effect, representing a fairly obvious causal connection as paradoxical. A new and trendy industry finds itself under cyber attack, which of course it does. Fashionable, only recently legal, young companies, of course they're going to be of interest to cyber criminals. That's not the case with the Canada Post, naturally, which has been mushing around to deliver the letters since its founding as Royal Mail Canada back in 1867. So they've been around the block a time or two. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And joining me once again is Dr. Charles Clancy. He's the executive director of the Hume Center for National Security and Technology at Virginia Tech. Dr. Clancy, it's great to have you back. Um, uh, you sent over an article from the Los Angeles Times. This is uh, written by David Lazarus. And the title is, It's Time Cell Phone Signal Jammers Were Installed in People's Steering Wheels. I can't help but thinking that you probably have some issues with this notion. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I, I think that the the challenges would be would be tremendous. Um, 
First of all, operating a cell phone jammer is illegal. But let's <laughs> let's assume we can get past that point. Well, let's start off um, by describing what, what they're after here. What why why they think that possibly having uh, you know extremely low. Uh, uh, low-reach jammers might might uh, improve safety when it comes to cell phone use in cars. Well, the concept, of course, is texting and driving and, and other forms of distracted driving are uh, a major safety issue on the road. And uh, if we had a way of blocking people's cell phones, uh, then we'd be in a better position. People wouldn't text and drive. People would drive more safely. Uh, that's the fundamental premise. In order to accomplish that, though, you need to extend a bubble of jamming uh, that only affects the driver uh, of an individual vehicle. And uh, there's, a, there's a huge technical challenge there in being able to calibrate the power level um, in order to only affect that one very localized spot. So, I mean, is this the kind of thing where there could be more practical solutions? I, I know, for example, uh, you know, Apple has something in iOS that, uh, that will allow you to opt in. If it senses that you're using a Maps app or traveling at a certain speed, you can have things like texts automatically get put on hold until you've finished your trip. Exactly. That's uh, the, the more proactive solution is to find automotive technology that will integrate with people's phones in order to more uh, safely uh, engage the user in that phone. So, for example, easy to configure, easy to use, hands-free uh, was a huge technology gain for the industry. And now most people are not holding uh, a phone to their head. Uh, of course, we still have challenges of texting and emailing. Uh, if there's ways to uh, figure out how to delay delivery of those texts or find other ways in which the user can interact with that data in a more safe way, I think that's, that's the more proactive solution. Of course, we're also looking down the road towards uh, self-driving and, and autonomous and connected vehicles. So having jammers and steering wheels would, um, would cause problems uh, when you're when your automobile is using the cellular network to uh, do autonomous navigation and uh, things of that nature. Uh, so we generally don't want to jam the airwaves because we want cars to be able to connect to the internet so that we can support a lot of the autonomy features. And if your car is uh, able to do adaptive cruise control and, and lane assist and becomes increasingly autonomous, then again, safety goes up significantly. Yeah, and the FCC uh, doesn't take kindly to these sorts of things. In, in this story, they, they point to a gentleman who was hit with a $48,000 fine for playing around with his jamming device. Uh, indeed, yes. Uh, under the Communications Act of 1934, it is illegal to operate a jammer, uh, cell phone or otherwise, uh, unless you are the federal government. So, uh, not a good idea. Yeah, all right. All right, well, we'll hold off for uh, more practical technical solutions. Uh, Dr. Charles Clancy, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. 
For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.